This is Soccer Pilgrim, the podcast dedicated to soccer and travel, where each stadium is shrine and its fans delay people. For the traveler, it is another culture to explore. Welcome to the Soccer Pilgrim podcast with Jason Kim. Okay, so I'll do a countdown before I start. So, uh, three, two, one. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Soccer Pilgrim. I'm your host, Jason Jisoo Kim. And today's episode, I have a very, very, very special guest. I say that with all my guests, but this one I feel very special about. And it's someone who I've been watching on YouTube for quite a while now. And you might know his channel by Rabona TV, but we, if you've watched him well enough, you know his name, name is Adrian. So Adrian, what's happening? How's it going? Hey, man. Great to be on here. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you for I think it was a triple very, a very, very, very special that you dropped on me. So thank you for that. I feel <laughs> incredibly welcome and uh, comfortable right from the rip. So let's do this, man. Yeah. Um, okay. So first question, straight out the gate. Uh, did you ever think Canada was going to qualify for this World Cup this soon? Nope, I didn't. Let's <laughs> keep it plain and simple. I, uh, yeah. I honestly, I was looking towards 2026 as like, you know, at least we have that, right? Yes. Because I... Personally, I've never seen Canada in a World Cup before. So I was looking towards 2026. I was like, yes, we have that. We'll see Canada in a World Cup. But then just how things started to sort of change and you saw the wheels go in motion and to qualify on their own merit for 2022 is just mm-hmm. awesome to see. It's incredible to see. And it's it's sort of uncharted territory for a lot of us, you know, to yeah. see Canada as like a decent side, well-coached, top talents. It's it's. It's awesome. It's surreal to be honest with you, but it's uh, it's a really fun ride, man. It's it's nice to actually look forward to international breaks again, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's so true because, like, uh, you know, growing up, I think, uh, yeah, I think you've you, you, you've talked about this in your last in one of your recent videos on YouTube about um about Canada soccer. You were just talking about it. How you're Portuguese, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay, so like pretty much, you know, I'm Korean. So for both of us. Canada and international football was like not a thing. So like I'd watch Korea, you'd watch Portugal. So for the first time to have like our home country go there, it's it's a beautiful yet weird feeling. Like I just didn't think this would ever happen. No, yeah, I agree with you. And it was, I almost felt like a, a bad Canada supporter for a mm. while. But when you look back on it and just with the way that CONCACAF qualifying works, there's enti- if you don't make the final eight or the final six or whatever it is at the time, yeah. now it's eight, you, your team is just isn't playing competitive football for like a long time, like almost a year at a time. So yeah. it was really easy to sort of forget about Canada. And when they were just struggling to even get to that final qualifying phase, there wasn't a lot to really take in beyond, you know, like the Gold Cup or whatever. And now there's right. the Nations League as well. So there's yet another opportunity to see competitive matches for teams but that don't make it to the final eight. But yeah, it was really easy to sort of forget about Canada. Plus there's the whole like, you know, matches weren't even on TSN <laughs> or Sportsnet or whatever. There's the whole underserving the Canada soccer population. So yeah, it's it's great to see a bit of buzz around it finally and to see people sort of get behind the team and take a genuine interest. Yeah, like... I mean, especially for myself, like, you know, growing up in Quebec, whenever we don't talk about, I mean, we talk about Canada a little differently than the rest of the country for obvious reasons. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> but like it, for me, especially it's nice as a local, as like, you know, from Montreal and from Quebec is, is French Canadians and Quebecois people are genuinely taking an interest now. I was like, wait, are, this team's pretty good. What's happening here? And seeing maybe not starting all the time, but at least featuring in the, a lot of these games, like Samuel Piet and, um, uh, Maxime Crepeau and I'm blanking on names already. Oh, Jonathan David, I guess they'll 
sort of claim him since he's francophone yeah. uh, to a lesser extent but e- either way it's kind of like oh those are our guys out there and they are if they're not starting they are coming off the bench and they're you know they're on screen and to me it was it was you know growing up here we never we never saw that never thought that would ever happen that was only in hockey and I just see this happening it's it's really cool like it's awesome absolutely and and i mean even if with montreal in particular you have that nice little contingent of cf montreal players um yeah. playing within the canadian national team which is always really nice and it's sort of i guess people sort of like gateway drug maybe to uh to supporting canada <laughs> as well get in get them in through cf montreal which by the way do you still have find yourself calling them impact now and then yes yeah i'm very hesitant to it's, say that but yes <laughs> yeah it's, it's tough i mean it's just it's not even out of like protest or anything yes. like that it's That's- just like an automatic thing that i'm having a really hard time kicking the habit so thankfully on the podcast that i appear on regularly um mm-hmm we just sort of have this agreement that I can just say impact and no one will correct me. And it's just how we go about things now, but I'll do my best to say CF Montreal. If we do broach that topic later. Yeah. Like, I mean, especially for locals in Montreal, everyone keeps calling it impact. So every time I telling people like, Hey, I'm going to the Montreal game. I always assume it's, I always assume that people assume that it's the former impact. Because of all the other franchises, you call the Alouettes or the Canadians, and it's, you know what we're talking about. So every time yeah. I say Montreal, I was like, I hope you understand what I was saying. But everyone will always ask me, it's like, so you're going to the Impact game? And I'm always like, yeah, I'm going to the Impact game. But I've given up just saying yeah. Montreal. I'm like, all right. But it is, a. I think, the first three months, I couldn't kick the habit. Because it's just, you know, when you're growing up, it's Impact, Impact, Impact. And then now it's like CF Montreal, CF Montreal. And it's it's awkward at times. <laughs> it is. And, and I mean, I'm from British Columbia originally. Right. And so if I was to say CF Montreal to like my parents or, you know, family members or people from back home, they wouldn't know what I was talking about. Like, what is that? Is that like a, mm. a CFL team? Just because, you know, if you don't follow MLS that closely, then mm-hmm. you're not going to know that they ended up changing their cha- name. So I just go with impact because it's easiest for me when I'm yeah. talking to other people that aren't from here. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, I don't hate the name CF Montreal. It's just as hard to unwire your brain again. I think I think that's a good way of putting it. Because, like, I think on the Derby cast, I said it impact of 120 times. As someone on the Derby team was like, you got to stop that, man. It's not like, <laughs> I was like, you know, you're right. You're right. And they're like, you really got to stop. I'm like, yeah, okay, fair enough. So I'm like trying to, it's a hard habit to break. It really is. It is. But yeah, like, um, but what is there... When you're looking at this like a men's national team, is there, because I, I, I love this group. It's a very charismatic group, but is there, is there like one player on the squad that you, besides Alfonso Davies, because I feel like that's an easy answer, or yeah. even Jonathan David. Well, okay, I guess even Buchanan and even Kyle Lahren. Okay, except for the forwards. <laughs> <laughs> is there a player that just like you love, you know, you love about them, you love that they're on this team, that there's something charismatic about them, you know, as a figure or as like a, just even just as a player in general. Um, I think that I identify a lot with Stefan Eustachio a lot, just because mm. you know, the Portuguese Canadian type thing. And also I think that he's the kind of player that Canada has been dying for, for a long yes. time, because we saw, we saw the attack sort of taking shape with Davies and David and Laren has, you know, has been killing it since Orlando, basically. Yeah. Um, so I think that the attack was always filled with a lot of optimism. And there was always going to be questions about, do we have that midfielder that can string a through ball beautifully and sort mm-hmm. of pull the strings from behind the front three or front four or five, depending on who we're playing <laughs> against. Yeah. Um, 
so I think that I, he's definitely a player that I look to and I sort of admire, and I'm really, really thankful that Canada has someone like that. But as far as the spirit and that sort of like fighting spirit and everything is, is Borean, man. It's Borean. Yeah, man. Yes. He's uh, just seeing how, how much this means to him, especially that game Mm. in Hamilton against the USA and sort of the reaction following it. And, you know, he's playing in his hometown, quote unquote, right. Adopted town really. Um, And just sort of seeing how much this means to him and some of the other guys that, Canada is like their adopted nation or the can or the nation that took them in basically. Um, and I think that he's just sort of been flying the flag very proudly, flying the sweatpants very proudly for us. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that he's sort of the person that I look to as sort of the character and like the, I would, I don't want to say the heart of the team, but you know what I mean? Sort of that, yeah. those driving pillars, that force at the back for us. I would say the heart, I would even argue the heart because he's the one who gives all the speeches, right? And he gets kind of everyone into that mindset. It's like, this is what we're playing for, even fighting for, you know? Yeah. Like uh, every time they huddle up, you know, it's always him giving like some brave heart level speech of like, you know what I mean? And it's, uh, it's um, yeah, okay. I, I definitely like that answer because for me, it's Sam Adekubi. I really uh-huh. like that guy. I just, I that goalie score against the US and Hamilton. And I... <sighs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Like the way he controlled the ball, drilled past two players and just started darting down and took the shot. I remember thinking, I was like, this guy is not good. Whatever club he's in in Turkey, he's not staying there for long. That's so true, man. And it's like, I remember looking up the club when I first, when he first sort of became like, I had always known the name, but you, yeah. it's easy to sort of lose track of where these players end up when you're not following the team as right. closely. And so when I saw that he was playing in Turkey, and then just how he's played throughout this qualifying campaign, it was just remarkable. And then on top of that, you know, quality player aside, character aside, he delivered us that iconic heritage moment of him jumping into yeah. the ice pile at the Ice Teca, <laughs> which is just like one of the most, I think that was the moment for a lot of people where they're watching Canada and they're seeing how you can still have that identity of, you know, like Canada, mm. cold, snow, blah, 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 while yeah. still being a football or, or a soccer nation, or at least getting behind it, really. Right. I think that was huge. Um, but yeah, I know, I know what you mean about him. He has something to him as well, where he's just one of those characters within the team that I'm always looking forward to seeing what he's going to do this time, because it's mm. just, there was a while where I think people were like, do we play Davies in the attack? Do we play him as a left back? How do how does our left back position look? Are we going to put Larea over there? But really, he's better on the right. Blah 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 blah. And for Sam to sort of evolve into the player that he is now and how important he is to this team now is really really great to see and just heartwarming. Like the rest of this Canadian <laughs> side and their development, right? Yeah, like I I think when I think of all the positions on that team and all the players, it's, it's, it's such a likable squad. It really is. And I, I, I love the fact that even the neutrals in Europe, like Carl Ancelotti this week was saying like, Canada's going to be my team for the world cup. I'm like, yeah. what an endorsement. I'm like, that's such, I mean, granted, I think his wife's in Vancouver. So maybe <laughs> like, oh, you're cheating, but I'm like, still, he's still recognizing us, you know? And, um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, have you been to any of the qualifying games like in person? No, I really, really wanted to. I wanted to try and make it to one of the games in Hamilton or Toronto, but it's just, mm-hmm. it just didn't work out in the end. Um, Fair enough. But ASAP, I mean, if they play any friendly, I'm hoping for a friendly in Montreal. That would be awesome. Um, yeah. And it would make life easier for us. That's oh, for sure. Oh my God. Yeah. But if I have to go to Toronto, I, 
I will, because I do want to see this team playing live prior to the 2022 World Cup. I know that I'll see a lot of them in the next four years or whatever, but I want to see this team. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like uh, I went. Okay, so I've shared this story before, but I went to Darby Magazine. All the Darby family were meeting in Toronto and I was having FOMO and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to Toronto. I booked like a last minute ticket and I went. But I wasn't expecting to go to the, to the game versus Jamaica at BMO Field. Oh. I, I, I didn't buy any tickets. It was impossible. I couldn't find any. I was like, I've given up. But then uh, again, shout out to Eli, who is uh, funny enough, a TFC ultra who hooks me up with. Who uh, <laughs> 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 He messaged me. He's like, are you going to the game? I'm like, no. He's like, okay, I think I got something for you. And he got me a ticket. And I sat at the Voyage Ultra section. That was the most fun I ever had. It was, Ooh. I had beer spilt all over me. I didn't care. It was like, you know, like, it just it was amazing, but I think my favorite moment was when Atiba Hutchison subbed on. I don't know if you caught this on TV, but the entire stadium was chanting Atiba, Atiba, Atiba for like two minutes straight. And I was like, that got me more emotional than Canada qualifying. I don't know. There was something about that. Yeah, I mean, man, I forgot about Atiba and all of this. This mm-hmm. is crazy. Um, but yeah, I can I definitely did not hear that on the TV, or okay. at least I wasn't paying attention. Maybe I was already emotional. Yeah. running around to the house, something like that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, he's another one of those players where like, it's nice to see him. I think he's sort of representative of like the older generation of Canada soccer mm-hmm. and to see him now get to have that experience of going to the world cup at his age and sort of bridge that gap between the new generation and the old. It's, it's very like symbolic, almost having him. And he's yes. a great player as well to, on yes. top of that, which we can't overlook that. He's not just totally symbolic. He's also no. very good in midfield. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And um, I like him. Like when you see him play, you forget that he's turning 39. You totally forget that. It's it's kind of wild. <laughs> it really is. It's he's one of those. Play- this is something we're seeing a lot of recently. Hey, it's mm-hmm. just so many players that are playing deeper and deeper into their 30s and still being very effective, not just come on in the. Yeah. 85th minute and hope to steal a goal or subbed on to take a penalty or something like that, you know? <laughs> yeah, like the, I mean, the first two names that come to mind besides Cristiano Ronaldo is like Benzema and Modric and Madrid right now. They're just, I mean, Modric's, Modric is like outside the foot pass to Rodrigo for that goal. I literally practiced outside my foot after I saw that. I was like, I got it. <laughs> like I had a game, I think that same night of the Champions yeah. League and I just kept practicing it. And my teammates are like, you watch Modric, didn't you? I'm like, yes, this is like, <laughs> I'm trying to nail that pass. That is beautiful. That was art. I just, yeah. That, and he, and he did it in Euro 2022 against Scotland, I think. But that time it was actually a goal, like outside of the box, outside of the yes. beam, straight into the top corner. Just a stunner. He's, uh, this is something that I don't, necess- I mean, I don't watch Real Madrid super, super, super closely. Like, obviously, okay. I watch them in the Champions League and in La Liga when they play big matches. Yeah. But I don't necessarily remember him doing that very often in his career. And I could be wrong about that. But the guy who I always associate with it, and sorry if we're getting a bit off topic. No, no, no. no the guy who I always associate with that is uh, Quaresma. I don't know if you remember. Oh, that was like yeah. his thing. Travella. Yes. He like, the outside of his boot, the outside of his right foot, he could hit that better than a lot of people could hit it with whatever their favorite foot is normally. Like it was just insane how often he would utilize that not only for passing, but for striking at goal. Like how many goals did he score from outside of the box with the outside of his boot? It's just crazy. He's one of those like streets. Don't forget type play. You know? <laughs> yeah. Wait, what country did he score against doing the Travella? Like I remember it just went, it was, I know it was in the euros. I forget what country was it. 
Uh, the one of the Euros, I can't remember, but definitely he did it in a qualifying match against Belgium back in the day. I remember okay. that. Um, he did he do it in the which Euros? Not this 2016? 2016? 2016 sounds right. <sighs> I'm Poland. remember he scored against Croatia, but that was sort of like a tap in type goal. Was it? I can't remember. Poland? It could Poland. be Poland or uh, or Wales. It I could know. be. Although Wales, I think it was Nani and Cristiano Ronaldo that scored against. Yes, Wales. it was. It was because I remember Ronaldo scored because I was like, "What is Ronaldo going to score?" And then yeah, he like yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a good Euro, actually. Now, now I think about it, that was a really good Euro. And um, this is a question I asked someone the other day, where it feels nice that Canada, as you said, with their own merit, made it to the you know this thirty-two team World Cup. So, how do you feel about this World Cup expanding to forty-eight teams? It's like, weird, man. Yeah, I, isn't it? I mean, I just I'm very much of the opinion of if I will welcome change so long as it is an improvement upon something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess we're yet to see whether a 4018 World Cup will be an improvement. It will just be more World Cup, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And it will be cool to see some teams that wouldn't normally make it or, okay. or have constantly been sort of on the cusp of qualifying like a. Who would it be? Like someone from Oceania or something like that. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. like Tonga or, you know. Yeah, like Tonga <laughs> or Samoan Islands, something like that. Yeah. So it'll be cool to see that. But I mean, yeah. I wouldn't say that I'm against change in, okay. in football. And it happens all the time with UEFA constantly trying to change things. Yeah. But getting rid of the away goals rule. That's one that I was actually like, okay, I'm, I'm fine with that. Let's test it out and see how it goes. And I think okay. so far the Champions League has been fine without it. You it's know, been- I, it's been, if, if anything, a little more exciting. I think so, because yeah. teams are playing with a lot less fear when they are at home. Yeah. Um, and just in general, it feels like team, there's been a lot of like away wins. And like, mm. so it's very interesting to see. So as far as the 4018 World Cup goes, I don't I wouldn't say that I necessarily have a hard stance against it, but it just seems like random to sort of expand <laughs> to that like it's been i feel like 32 teams was sort of the sweet spot you yeah know, there's but i guess they want to give more opportunities to teams out of africa because you know looking at mm. the african qualifying um not just africa i should say other yeah, yeah, yeah. other confederations as well but if you look at the african qualifying in particular like seeing egypt versus senegal that sucks you don't mm. you don't want to have to choose between those teams yeah. seeing what was it, it was Nigeria versus Ghana, that sucks too. You don't want to have to choose yeah. between those teams, that kind of thing. So it'll be nice in that sense, I guess. And maybe I'm talking myself into it now. I don't know. But it's <laughs> uh but I think that it's um I'll I'll have a I'll take a how about this? I'll take a similar stance to what I did with the away goals rule and okay, let's see how it is. And if it sucks, hopefully we can change it back, type of thing. That's rational because my argument is not that I'm in favor, I'm I'm in a similar boat as you as like, let's see how this turns out because when I think about, for example, uh, the Euros, where the Euros went from, I think, 24 teams to, I'm, I'm blanking out, I think it was 16 to 24. Was that it? Yeah. 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 Okay. So when it went from 16 to 24, everyone had the same reaction. It's like, eh, like, this should be the most elite European countries. But then we got to see countries like Iceland and Wales perform really well. I was a Wales fan that, that Euro. I really was feeling Wales because I love Gareth Bale. I have a sweet, and he might be coming to MLS. So I'm kind of happy yes. about that. Him to DC United. I mean, he should come to Montreal, but whatever. Uh, I think so. I think so. <laughs> Yeah, like it's it's you never know, right? Like you might have a story like Iceland or Wales in the World Cup, or like you know. But then, then you brought a good point about Africa because I feel the same with Asia. I would like to see more Asian teams make it yeah. in, like uh, maybe India, maybe China, or even Vietnam. Let's say, yeah, or um, 
I feel like that's that's all the Asian teams I kind of really just want to see in the World Cup, <laughs> or even North Korea, whatever. Actually, again, again, I, my dream. I mean, I don't know how dangerous this is, but to see North Korea play South Korea in a World Cup match, uh, uh, <laughs> that would be interesting. Would what be- else would be interesting would be getting some of those leaks of what the North Korean media are disseminating <laughs> to people after that match. That would be interesting as well. Yeah, it's uh, oh, I, I remember uh, they, what was that? They televised a Portugal-North Korea game in North Korea for the first time live, and it was just them being battered 7-1 or something like that. I'm just like... Yeah, not great. Uh, not great. I was like, oh, dude. Because <laughs> like the, the match before, they were saying like, oh, Korea beat, I forget what country. It was either Ivory Coast or Brazil. That was in their group. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> That's such a <laughs> ridiculous group. But but that being said, I think for for at least for the African qualifiers, I feel like they should split the continent up. I want to see more East African teams and North and South African teams make it instead of always seeing the North and West African teams, right? Yeah, absolutely. It would be nice to see more teams out of Africa. So I think. My main issue with the expansions, and I can't math this one, but what I didn't like about the expansion of Euro was the whole like best third place teams advancing. Ah, uh, yeah. Now, I say that, and yet Portugal won a tournament thanks to that. <laughs> and Portugal, did they finish third in their group? Yes. Yeah, they did in Euro 2020 as well, like, on Germany and Netherlands. Like what made their story incredible is that they kind of won it in a very mediocre fashion, if, you, if I'm being honest. Yeah, wait, I, I need to fact check myself on Euro 2020. But Euro 2016, we know for sure the most mediocre tournament win that has ever happened <laughs> beyond maybe Greece. But with Portugal, you get the added spice of of yeah. having them finish third in their group and then go on to win it. So if the 48-team World Cup has that sort of nonsense, in my opinion, the third place stuff, I'm not that into it. But no, yeah. if it's just strictly, you know, top two of each group go through, I'm in. That's fine. Mm. Then maybe they should have like a Europa League version of the World Cup or something. (laughs) (laughs) It's gonna get to that, dude. (laughs) Don't don't tempt them because that they're gonna they're gonna take that and think, hang on, wait a minute. We can make more money. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's but part of me was like, well, I kind of want to see that, but what do you gotta call it? The Intercontinental Cup. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They can't do confederation anymore. So I guess it's uh yeah, intercontinental. Something or, like that, yeah. Or, or they like, probably do something like, like the uh, Mundo Cup or something like that. Oh, so lame. <laughs> <laughs> like instead of Europa yeah. Mundo Cup, something like that. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> okay, I gotta ask this because all my Portuguese friends, especially my soccer team, whenever they detect, detect anyone who's Greek, they just get weirdly aggressive towards them, annoying. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so do you feel? something similar about that like whenever they meet a greek person they always bring, like is that a portuguese person or a greek person will bring up the euros and then there's like a huge intense conversation that follows suit heated heated conversation um i wouldn't say that i'm too intense on that right i have a lot of i have a lot of love for greek food shout out mm. george souvlaki in montreal the uh yes. the concordia staple oh my yeah. god yeah um but i mean that hurt for a while and there was definitely a while where you looked at Greece and you just, just sort of glared. And then to see them go on and struggle after that tournament as well was just like, <laughs> how did this happen? How yeah. did Portugal lose at home to these guys twice? <laughs> Crazy. But no, I wouldn't say that I get any sort of like 
physical reaction or anything like that when I'm around a Greek person. <laughs> it's it's just funny because like I, you know, my entire life I've always been kind of like a, an objective viewer of everything, especially like, you know, being, a, you know, being born and raised in Montreal, I grew up both in a English, both English and French at the same time. So I was always kind of like a, a perpetual foreigner. But then whenever yeah. I observe other European immigrant groups interact with each other through soccer, I just find it hilarious because the banter is almost um almost childish in a really yes. fun way. But I love yes. it. I love it. I just like I'm I'll even just start upon it, just say something controversial just to keep it going. Like, yeah, yeah, what about how'd you feel about this guy? And they're like, oh yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, okay, yeah. So you said you're from um you said you're from out west in BC. So was there a was there a Canadian club that you grew up watching that you like enjoyed or was there like a let's say a Canadian franchise in whatever league that you were like this is my team or this is a team I feel a particular way about Not really because mm -hmm. uh MLS didn't come around until much later in my life and I right. didn't like I would follow what the White Caps were doing when they were in what was it USL USL and ASL was it USL? NASL? One of those two? I think I NASL. Know. I think it was, let's assume it's NASL. <laughs> I think it's NASL. <laughs> um, so I would sort of follow that. And when they would go on decent runs and, you know, um, play in, what was that? I guess it was it the CONCACAF Champions League, League, I guess, back then. I have no clue. I, I, I Man, this is, this is the uninformed hour with Adrian <laughs> here, just like taking random shots at, in the dark but anyways yeah i was i was following <laughs> people aren't going to believe me now when i say that i was sort of following white caps because <laughs> clearly i know nothing about what was going on but dude it's um, like whenever what? i get quizzed with like impact stuff i'm like yeah yeah <laughs> i'm like a similar boat so don't worry <laughs> but but honestly like i uh i didn't really follow them that closely I remember I would I would just see their highlights basically on Sportsnet or whatever because how could I ever catch their games? I have no idea where I would have watched them back then. Very true. Um, so yeah, I didn't. I wouldn't say that I really followed them that closely. And then when I moved to Montreal, I started going to Impact games a lot. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So actually, I actually don't support Whitecaps at all. It's actually Impact or sorry, CF Montreal. <laughs> My bad, everybody. CF Montreal that I. Uh, that I uh, would say I had the closest affinity to for Canadian teams, but now Pacific mm. FC, yes, and the CPL, um, the, that is the team that I follow the closest. I would say as far as Canadian teams go now, um, yeah, because they they're basically started in my hometown, and I mm. happen to be living on the West Coast in their inaugural season as well, which was a fun Ooh. little coincidence. Um, so I got season tickets, and it was really fun going to matches and. Yeah, I would say that Pacific FC is the team that I follow closest as far as Canadian teams now. But as a kid, not really any, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I, for, first off, the, I've said this on the Derby Cast the last episode. I, I've been saying this to everyone that their alternate third away kit, Pacific FC, is the most insanely beautiful kit I've seen. Like I bought it. I bought it on presale. I'm like, I want this. I'm gonna wear this. Uh. And if you come to Sushi Bar Kim, you will see me wearing this. Anyone who comes, anyone listening, you will see me wear this jersey at some point. I love this kit. I just love everything about it. Um, but so growing up, like which I'm assuming you obviously watch European football. So like which club did you support growing up or was there any? Yeah, I um, I started following Benfica because of, of my pa my parents are Portuguese, right? So I started following Benfica. I was I was really into Nuno Gomes. Um, he uh, he was just that dude for me. But I actually got into them 
via Euro 2000. Okay. Those were like my earliest memories of watching football with my dad. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I just have like vague flashes of memories of it. And I remember Nuno Gomes scoring a goal against France that Portugal ultimately ended up losing that game. But mm -hmm. that sort of got me hooked. And then that's how I started following Benfica, which is funny because my parents, or sorry, my grandparents, I should say, both of them are sporting supporters on each side. Oh, interesting. So, <laughs> yeah. So they must have been like, what is what is going on with this kid? Where did he go wrong? So <laughs> casting judgment on my parents. But honestly, my family wasn't like the biggest football soccer family, to be honest mm. with you. It was yeah. mostly like they followed it um, and they would keep tabs on what's going on. But they didn't necessarily like go all in like this is my team and we hate sporting yeah or we hate porto or whatever it wasn't like that um i guess partially because it was really difficult to watch portuguese league in in victoria oh, yeah. like <laughs> unless you had one of those like sketchy satellite setups <laughs> um it was really really difficult to catch them no no for sure because like I'm, I'm a similar story where like i grew i didn't grow up in a, in a soccer household at all like my parents only watched the world cup and also because i was the only really footballing uh competition that would be shown on tv on yeah. basic cable essentially they weren't going to buy a tv subscription for football my dad was into golf so he was like he would buy a subscription for like pga and stuff like that but I, <laughs> he tried getting me into golf but i was like this is too too old white man of a sport for me right now <laughs> like now i'm kind of getting i'm entertaining it i'm getting into it but like same yeah it's, it's such a like an age thing right i think when you it get is. old and then because yeah. it's, it's just like it's just like a good time with your friends hanging out golfing yeah. you know but but as a kid like i'm not interested at all in watching golf oh so boring so there i had no time for it but now as like an activity because mm. it's just like a fun hang where you're doing you're playing a game basically so yeah. that's i'm I'm into it for that reason yeah exactly <laughs> same and and i wonder if it's similar with me but uh what what was it about football that hooked you because your family wasn't that into it so what was it about it that you were like this is my thing. Like, I love this game, you know? Um, well, I can thank my dad for putting me in soccer at a very, very young age when I was like four or five years old. So I can thank him for that. But as far as what got me ultimately hooked, I think I think it was that Euro competition, Euro 2000, and just seeing like mm. how many people there were mm. and like the crowds and everything like that. It just sort of opened up this world to me. And then I started looking into Benfica, started looking into the history of Benfica, started looking into trying to watch some of their matches. So funnily enough, my dad worked at like a, uh, it's like a satellite earth station type thing. Like they did like launch support for satellites out of India and stuff on the oh. west coast of Canada. Pretty random career. Um, but but since cool. they were dealing, yeah, kind of cool. Yeah. Since they were dealing with satellites, they also had like every channel in the world. So <laughs> That's really I would, cool. yeah. So on the weekends I would, go with him to work sometimes and just so I could watch Benfica play. Oh, it's really unique. So, yeah, yeah. So I was able, thankfully, I had that opportunity now and then. If he was working a day shift on a weekend, I would be able to go. And mm -hmm. if it just so happened that Benfica was playing at that time, I would, because, I mean, I, I was too stupid to even look it up on the internet. And I would just like <laughs> go and hope and be like, maybe they're playing today, like that kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that it was just that that start at Euro 2000 and just seeing that was like uh, to bring up this term again, my gateway drug into mm -hmm. uh, into football, basically, and sort of the 
fan culture that surrounds it all i found really fascinating hmm. um and yeah i would say that that would that would be my first steps into it basically those nuno gomes euro 2000 benfica that sort of era early 2000s so did you did you grow up you obviously grew up playing it then right in your local leagues yeah. and stuff like that yeah and um yeah. what was the scene like for you growing up out especially out in uh, out of victoria it was funny because i actually grew up in a smaller town north of victoria called duncan it's a okay. really 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 small town it's since grown a lot so if yeah. i called it a small town now and people visited it they'd be like what are you talking about but back then it was really really small it was basically one of those towns that was like you know a lot of people that are passing through wouldn't even bother going off of the highway main drag because there was like a wendy's and a mcdonald's and mm. a gas station and blah, blah blah that was about it yeah and so the soccer scene there was it was, I mean, I think like in the rest of Canada, it's the sport that everyone plays at a young age. Yeah. And then they get older and they sort of branch off into hockey or baseball or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, it was pretty, you know what, maybe I'm underselling it a little bit because it was pretty good. Like I grew up on Vancouver Island, not right. Vancouver. It's a very confusing thing to explain to people. Yeah, yeah, Vancouver yeah. Island is this big, huge island that would take you like six to eight hours to drive from tip to tip. Mm -hmm. um, and the whole like... There was the Lower Island Soccer Association, then the Middle Island, and then the North Island. Hmm. And so there was actually a pretty like decent scene there. You'd play your league play. There was also cut play. So okay. it was pretty good in that respect. But as far as the, you know, facilities and the yeah. fields and, you know, it was one of those things where they you didn't get like a specific jersey. It was just like, here's the jersey for the U17s and it's everything is triple XL and, <laughs> and yeah. the numbers are like from one to a hundred. So I yeah. remember I was like number 67 one year. And stuff. <laughs> so it wasn't great as far as the uh, infrastructure, I guess. But I think since it has become, you know, very, very good. Like there's some her fields, thankfully, because a lot of the fields we played on were like, legit swamps basically mm. um especially just, the rainy west coast i can imagine yes exactly man like there was so many times like they would make us play in in some rough conditions but with how much it rains on the west coast there was times where like even they wouldn't make us do it because the ball would literally be like skipping along the water <laughs> there was like standing water everywhere yeah because basically the thing was if there's standing water on most of the pitch we don't play but if there's some standing water you know in the corner or <laughs> <laughs> in areas of the pitch where you're not playing most of the game it's fine we'll just keep going Oh, that sucks um, for a winger or fullback you're like ah deal with it oh yeah <laughs> constantly yeah i felt bad for uh, that's actually a great point. That's why the fullbacks were always so dirty because they were, <laughs> I never really put two and two together as a kid, but that, but that makes total sense because they're constantly having to go into the swamps to yes. you know, fish the ball out, man. <laughs> it's um, I can relate to that. Cause I remember as a kid in Montreal, it was, I mean, I didn't play at the highest level when I was a kid. I played like very, you know, like house league or whatever. Cause again, my parents didn't care about the levels. They're like, we just need you to do something on weekends while we're at work. And, um, I just remember this one time we were playing against this team and the opposition, they just, it was, it was funny because my coach, she was like, a, she used to be a coach at university level. So she knew what she was doing. She was just doing this kind of like for fun during the summer. And we played against this team where it was two parents, was uh, a couple or two couples rather, two parents, a uh, couple parents. Anyway, and they're four, they're like essentially four coaches and they would swap the entire, the entire team, uh, all 10 players like a hockey lineup they're like they will literally say lineup one lineup two lineup one lineup two and i'm like 
I remember just saying like at eight years old, I was like, are we playing hockey? Like what is happening here? <laughs> and that, so to me, that was the Montreal soccer scene where the pitches weren't that great, that no one really cared. It was, um, it was very um, suburban soccer mom kind of vibe. Yeah. As, like, yeah, as, yeah. especially when I was a kid growing up in NDG, that was a vibe. But now when I go now, it's so different. It's way more uh, sophisticated. Like um, the coaches know what they're doing. Yep. Except for this one year, I had a coach who was a was a Sicilian guy who was adamant that we called him Sicilian, not Italian. And another <laughs> another coach who was a Portuguese. And I loved, hated them because they were good coaches, but they just always screamed at us. And it was like the tactics were just dumb, really dump and chase tactics. Yeah. And like a decade later, one of my friends who plays for the A team of NDG was like, hey, we need like a backup player. Would you be down to play? I'm like, sure. I showed up and it was those two guys. <laughs> And I was like, I remember you when I was a kid. They're like, oh, yeah. They were like, we have no idea who you are. And I was like, it's, oh, it's oh. fine. It's fine. I don't care. Like, I just, it's just so really full circle. And we lost that game. And, and it was kind of funny. I was like, you're doing the same tactics when I was a kid. Like, you haven't learned. <laughs> like, what's happening? Still doing that kick and run, huh? Yeah, it was, Um, I was playing on the wing. And then they're like, okay, we just need you to dribble up and then cross it. I'm like, okay, well, what, what's a fullback going to do? He's like, he'll just dump it down to you. I'm like, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he just he stops the other team and then he gives you the ball and then that's it <laughs> yeah and i remember this one time i had a coach he was like uh we're losing a game bad it was like 10 years ago we're losing a game bad and he was frustrated and he just looked at our team he was like guys i need you to put the ball in the net i'm like no shit this is what we're trying to do here <laughs> but uh that's, that's some michael owen advice right there that's some uh, <laughs> michael owen punditry advice right there <laughs> Man, you're bringing back some intense memories for me, though. Just mentioning the whole yeah. like total line changes and like parents mm -hmm. coaching, because that's what it was, man. Like even yeah. in like official matches on the weekend, there would be the referee and then they would have volunteers running the line. So it would be like someone's <sighs> dad from our team. And then oh. the other team would have someone. So like no offside call is correct. Like <laughs> I would I would love to know. Like if I could somehow go back in time and get do some VAR on some of the matches that we played, I'm sure that some of the offside calls were just insanely poor. But I mean, that's what it was, you know, I, and yeah, and you're sort of at the mercy of who was available to coach. Thankfully, my dad coached for a lot of my time sort of coming up from like U12 to U18. Mm -hmm. But prior to that, it was just like whoever had time in the evening. So that would be willing to be responsible for us the balls basically <laughs> <laughs> but that but that's it and i'm 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 just like i'm kind of i'm kind of jealous of the kids today who get to see this national team be as they are now because like i remember because you said that you were 20 uh not 20 you were 2000 was like that moment where you're like oh what is this thing like i want this to be all but i had two moments that where i was like uh 2002 uh korea japan world cup where i was like because yeah. That entire time, no one knew what Korea was or what Korean is. They're like, oh, you're just Chinese, right? I'm like, or Japanese. I'm like, damn it. Like, no. I mean, I assume it's like people, look, you you say like, I'm Portuguese. They're like, so what, what part of Spain is that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, no, man. And then for once, for the first time on mainstream TV, I think it was CBC, where I was like, oh, I could explain that to people. Like, this is it, you know? And um. And I remember telling my dad, I was like, I want to be a professional soccer player. He laughed. He's like, you're going to be a doctor lawyer. That's not you. And I'm like, oh, thanks, dad. Yep. Uh, so for, for the record, I'm, I'm neither. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> But then I think I refell, I refell in love with the sport in 2008. I watched. Um, so it's relatively late. Like I kind of like had nothing. I want nothing to do with soccer. My parents didn't show any 
any interest or investment. So I was like, okay, you know, kind of like, fuck this. I don't want, I don't want nothing to do with this. Right. Yeah. And then it was in high school where my friends, I saw the way they loved the game. I saw the way they talked about it. I saw the way that every weekend they're like, let's go play. And they always invited me. And I was like, I don't really play anymore. I'm not that good. They're like, we don't care. Just come play with us. And it was uh, that sense of community where I fell in love with. And they were like AC Milan fans, Manchester United fans, and uh, Arsenal fans, Chelsea fans. And, and then I watched the uh, 2008 final, Manchester United and Barcelona. And mm. watching Messi and Ronaldo play in their like youth. And I was like, I think I'm about this. Like, this is so much fun. And seeing how, like you said, seeing how the fans were. And I was like, okay, I think this is my thing now. You're in. Yeah, man. And it was, another thing was like, like what you were saying about the kids of this generation, having people to look up to, like you said, we didn't have that. Like we Mm -hmm. didn't have any sort of role models i guess or any sort of canadian at least canadian ones yes. that we saw on the tv that were like killing it like yes shout out radzinski at everton i think and stalteri was playing at tottenham mm-hmm. craig forrest was over there playing at west ham was it or chelsea i think it was at chelsea what really but this is before abramovich so this is when chelsea was a pretty much west ham team okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah true true um but yeah, like as far as, you know, players that were playing at an elite level from Canada, we didn't really have that. And so no. it's awesome for these kids now. I'm jealous of them, to Me be too. honest with you. I'm very, very jealous of them. Um, I wish that I had gone through soccer at a time when it was this popular and it was actually like cool to yes. want to be a soccer player and you weren't just like bullied by hockey player. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's like, I remember growing up where soccer was like the weird hipster sport. They're like, yeah. oh, you want to play that weird immigrant, weird European sport. But now they're like, oh, cool. Like, good for you. You know? Yeah. It, it feels uh, like, do you feel validated? And like, finally, like, yes. I do in some way, in basically in ways where like, I actually have something to talk about with people now, you know, because <laughs> that was my interest that no one cared about as a kid growing up. And now people actually are starting to take an interest in it. Like, for example, my, my wife's brother, my brother-in-law, I guess. Yeah. Um, he uh, like he'll start talking like, "Oh, Canada's doing really well." Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah. Whereas in the past, when it came to sport, like I mean, I'm not, I don't know anything about hockey to be honest with you. But <laughs> we now have that one thing in common where like he knows a little bit about at least that Canada has qualified for the World Cup. At least that Canada had a good qualifying campaign. At least that there's buzz around the sport now. So I feel like I'm not like a foreigner in my own country as far as my interests go yeah because i remember like going on my first trip as a kid to mexico when i was like 13 or 14 years old and being like finally i'm in a place where like people care about the sport that i care about like Mm -hmm. i'm not the weird kid that doesn't watch hockey anymore like i can actually relate to this or going to europe like every time i go to europe now it's so refreshing being in a place where like that is the thing as opposed to here where it's mostly hockey you know what i mean it just feels a little bit more like at home over there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Like um, <laughs> when you're like, when you're saying, oh, it feels nice to be in Europe with people who get what I'm, you know, get what I'm into. It's like, I don't know, for whatever reason, my mind is like, yes, I'm finally with culture people. Oh, it's nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> but it's, it's funny because like, especially in Montreal, where like hockey is religion, like hockey riots used to be a regular thing when I was a kid where... Mm. 
where people are like, oh, there's not a riot. You know, it's just like, that's how people talked about it, where I would see some of my friends from high school running into the SAQ during the riots. I'm like, I know that guy. Like, what is he doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this guy, this guy told me he was staying at home. <laughs> but it's Looters. Like, yeah, I would, I would see that. And now it's, um, now it's a little more tame. But I, I love the fact that even one of my cousins from Toronto, he's a huge Raptors fan. And he, last time I was in Toronto, uh, we were talking, he was like, he's like soccer is really blown up i was like i told you this like three four years ago that it's gonna ex explode in this country and he was like oh i don't see he's a he's a business guy he's like i don't see the market i don't see how it's gonna work out i'm like trust me this shit's gonna pop off and then he was talking about it he's like hey man you're right i'm like i'm a prophet what can i tell you <laughs> <laughs> i know it's, it's really really difficult for people to see and i mean rightfully so in a sense because for most of their lives for some of people's entire lives soccer hasn't really been that big of a thing in canada you know yeah. depending on the generation so it's understandable that people wouldn't really buy into it but then from our point of view it's like do you not see the rest of the world mm. and, and what they're interested in yeah and you think that it's not gonna find its way to here i mean i guess it's possible but it's just with such an immigrant population in canada it's inevitable right yeah yeah it and like that same thought where it's like the rest of the world plays. This. It always annoyed me that in baseball, the world, the world series, I'm like, why is this called the world yeah. series? It's, it always bugged me. And I'm like, oh, but, uh, but yeah, like, I'm just happy that people are finally taking interest. When I go to uh, CF Montreal games, I can tell the people around me, some of them still come in with like Habs hat, like Habs mm -hmm. hats and like jerseys, which is cool. Cause like at CF Montreal, everyone understands is that there aren't, let's call it new converts. And mm -hmm. you want to show your solidarity with the team by wearing any, montreal franchise yeah. but the, what i love about it is that all those fans that come in who have essentially been priced out of canadian games found a new home where it's still affordable where there is a sense of community where it is the atmosphere is fun and it's um they have a team that has a potential of winning i mean we could we could debate that but i mean like, <laughs> but it has a potential of winning that has charismatic people and that the fans are loving and it's like you know i can tell that everyone's from let's say Oshilaga, that neighborhood. And that's, yeah. I find that really cool. You know, I, I grew up in the West side of Montreal. So being in the East side of Montreal, feeling welcomed among them, I was like, it's a nice feeling, you know? Uh, it really is. And I yeah. think, I think the biggest thing, like whenever I have friends or family that come to visit in Montreal, I always would take them to formerly impact games. <laughs> um, when I had season tickets, because I knew that it would blow their mind at what a sporting event can be yes that has sort of like a non-north american feel to it because i think that that's one thing that montreal really has in mls is having that sort of almost like european supporter feel to it in the in the standing section in the all standing section there yeah the uh, sort of uh, general admission i think they call it yeah um because every single person that i take there even like co-workers when i when i was working at watch mojo before i would take mm -hmm. them with me as well to go to these games and they'd always be blown away and i would get them hooked on it just based on the event itself like they wouldn't necessarily follow the team in between the matches that i took them to but right. every time i was like do you want to go see impact with me this weekend they would say yes immediately because number one i don't know if they're still there i haven't been to an or cf montreal game in a long time okay but is porchetta still there yeah. Oh, uh, since the, I haven't noticed him since the pandemic, but no. that was, they, I remember at the Southside entrance, they're right there in front of the Southside entrance. And, yes. that, was, and that was always my go-to, like getting a porchetta oh. sandwich with, with that potato salad. Oh my God. Oh, 
it was incredible. So yeah. one, that was a big draw. Is <laughs> one of the better porchetta sandwiches you could find in the city, in my oh opinion. yes, oh yes. Um, and then also just the atmosphere. Like I, I always got, I, you know, I was a broke university student, so <laughs> I would always get the cheapest season ticket I could, which was in the all standing section, and it would blow their minds with the with the flares, with the flags, with the drumming the whole time. They're like yes. these. These guys don't even watch the game. They just stand there the whole time <laughs> and like choreograph the crowd. It's like, yes, like they're these guys really do this, man. Like these are guys are deep into mm. this. Um, and that sort of opened their mind a little bit to like why I'm so interested in the sport in a sense. I see. Yeah. It's um because at that point it's um it's it's not even about the game anymore. It's it's more about the passion and the community that surrounds it, you know, and it's um you know, okay, so like I have a, I keep saying this to everyone on every episode. I have a back, I have, I have a master's in religion. So when right. I, yeah, so when I go to these games, I can't, my mind doesn't stop seeing the parallels with uh, religion and football. It's sort of like the stadium being a church and, you know, the, some of it's, a lot of it is cliche, but like when there's enough passion put into one uh, activity, the, the lines of religion and, and mundane secular activity is blurred, you know? And it's just, it's, it's incredible. So, uh, but yeah, but that being said, like, so have you been to games in Europe? I've been to a couple, not as many as I would have liked, but I went to very randomly. So my wife and I, I always trip up on that. We are married. <laughs> so we're, we've been like engaged for we're quick sparks notes version. We're yeah. supposed to get married right before the, uh, right before the pandemic. Oh no. Strikes, or the venue that we want to close down. Blah, 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 blah. Oh no! We haven't we haven't gotten married yet. We've but we've been together for eight years, so we're basically married, anyways. Yeah. So, anyways, we happened to be in Europe because we wanted to do a trip through the Czech Republic and through Croatia. And while Ooh. we were there, I checked. You know, oh, are there going to be any matches? Because whenever I would go to Europe as a kid, well, the one time I went to Europe as a kid, we went in the summer, uh, July, nothing happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This yeah. time we were there in, I think October or something like that. But oh. it was an international break. So again, I was like, what the. <laughs> <laughs> but it just so happened that while we were in Prague, Czech Republic was playing a World Cup qualifier against Northern Ireland. So Ooh. I got to see that. So that was my first foray into seeing a match in Europe. And then I also went to I went to a wedding in London. And while I was there, I went to Arsenal versus West Ham. Oh, big game. Okay. That's not bad. That's not bad. It's very good. Yeah, that was during that was Unai Emery's first season. Oh, um, good evening. Yeah, good, Mr. Good Evening. It was a 3-2 win for Arsenal. So a bit, you know, we got to see some goals, which was That's great. awesome. Yeah, that was fun. Um, and then this past November, I, uh, I went to Europe again. We went to Amsterdam and Paris. And while I was hmm. in Paris, I got to go to PSG. Right. Lille, I DM'd you. I DM'd yes. you. And you were like, dude, it was amazing. And I was like, it looks amazing. It looks... It was awesome, man. Like, because their stadium the uh, Parc des Princes yeah. is, uh, is very much, it feels like a small stadium, but I think that it seats like 50 to 60,000 people. It's pretty big. But it still manages to retain that feeling of being like a very, very like intimate sort of feeling, even though yeah. I think there is a bit of a track around it mm -hmm. and everything. Um, but the ultras there was far beyond my expectations for a Ooh. club like PSG. Because when you look at PSG, 
a, a lot of us are guilty, myself included, of forgetting that there was actually a pretty decent club there before mm-hmm. the Qatari takeover, right? So a lot of us are guilty of thinking, oh, it's Qatari takeover in 2012. They don't right. have a history. There must not be a very good fan atmosphere, blah, 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 blah. But there's Parisians that have been there supporting PSG since way before that. And their mm-hmm. ultras were already set up way before that. So for me, that was the nicest sort of I wouldn't say surprised because I knew that they do have like a pretty hardcore following. And there's times where between the club and the ultras, there was a bit of tensions between them, blah, 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 blah. But it was really, really nice to see that despite being a club that is so ridiculously minted and yeah. brings in all these players and blah, 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 they still have that fan culture there. So I was really, really happy. And also it was an amazing game. I got to see Jonathan David score against PSG. That was awesome. Oh, um, I got to see Messi play, which is, you know, special. They're in the cap. Very, very special. Unfortunately, I think he was just coming off of an international break or just going. Yeah, I think just coming okay. off of one. So he was carrying an injury. So he just played the first 45, didn't move around that much. He strung mm-hmm. a few passes together, but I didn't get to see the real Messi, which was unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, I mean, I think that Angel Di Maria is a criminally underrated and forgotten player. <laughs> time and time again so it was great to see him put in like a crazy performance and basically win the game for psg thank you for saying that because i've been saying di maria's name for ages where i said madrid's biggest mistake was getting rid of angel di maria (laughs) really yes i said i i remember when he went to manchester united i was like madrid really dropped the ball on that one where he like he was a guy who was playing on the wing uh, on the you know opposite of Ronaldo with Benzema in the middle. And I was like, that was already great. Then Bale comes in. I'm like, okay, what's Di Maria going to do? Drops into center mid. Mm-hmm. And I was like, he revitalized his career. And it's just like, no one gives him enough credit. And it really annoys me because I'm like, this guy is so, so good. So good. Like the reason why, one of the main reasons why Argentina made it to the final in 2014 was really be, not only because, well, obviously Messi was incredible, but like it was because of Di Maria. He's so good. Yeah. He's incredible. And I just, I just, I wish people gave him more love. Like this guy deserves his flowers. He's so good. Like I, I should get a Demario jersey. I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get I think you should. And I think that I should too. And I'm going to join the Di Maria fan club with you because obviously I have, I have life. I have, uh, sorry, I have love for him um, from being at Benfica first and then going to Real Madrid. So I remember he scored a crazy Rabona goal for Benfica. Like he was Mm. really, really good at Benfica. Then he went to Real Madrid. And I think what you're sort of getting at is that he's constantly, he's constantly overlooked because of the players he's played with. Yes. Like he played with Ronaldo and Benzema and and he went, yeah. And then he went to PSG and Neymar's there. Mm. Neymar shows up, I should say, Mbappe shows up and it's just like, oh, Di Maria is chopped liver again, you know, yeah. but he consistently still performs and puts in like huge performances like in the Copa America last summer. He was one of Argentina's, if not their best player, one of their best players. And in that final, he was integral to that win as well. So yeah. hell yeah, let's let's start that Di Maria fan club. I mean, <laughs> maybe I, <laughs> maybe we should start make a make a new amateur team just called the Di Maria FC. And we just yep. all wear number 11 Di Marias. Yep. We, just, <laughs> we all just wear the variation of a Di Maria jersey of Argentina, PSG or Madrid, whatever. Even the, the one guy will have the weird Manchester United jersey, which will yeah. be like... Yeah, that's just nah. That's what are you just, doing, man? What I'll you, be there with my Benfica kit. Yeah, <laughs> but it's um, but yeah, it's funny because it it's funny for to me that you say you're a Benfica fan because I feel like every Portuguese person I meet is like seventy five percent likely to be a Benfica fan. Yeah, uh, 
Like when I was, I went to Portugal twice and the Benfica supporters all throughout the country. I've been to like up and down the country and it's, uh, everyone's a Benfica fan. And I was like, like, I mean, obviously there's like pockets of Porto fans and then the, the weird sporting fans here and there. <laughs> and it's, it's, I, I remember asking my friends like, yo, everyone's a Benfica fan. He's like, they are, he kept, he, he loves bringing this up. He's like, they are the number one biggest support group globally. Where they have the most amount of uh, lo- what uh, members? Members. That's what socios. Yeah, and there, there's one in Montreal. I don't know if you've seen it. I think it just closed, or maybe it moved. But I was on oh, it's yeah. on Bernard, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, I was on Bernard the other day. I was picking up some donuts, and oh. um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, it looked like it's closed, or maybe they're doing renovations, or maybe they moved or something. I don't know. But oh, I never no. had the chance to actually go there. But I heard that the food was really good there. They have food. Apparently, yeah. Apparently, it's like at a lot of these places, they have like a full-on kitchen, they have a bar, they have everything. Wow. It's like it's like a social club, basically, that people go and hang out at, drink beer, play dominoes. Okay. That kind of thing. I got to get all my Portuguese friends to go there, maybe get some feijoada or something or beef. Yes. Oh, my, I love beef. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm getting hungry just thinking about that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I love Portugal. Been there twice. Incredible country. People are super nice. Uh, but yeah, it's... But that being said, like it... it Di Maria is criminally underrated. Um, but kind of backtracking back to Montreal, though, uh, you said it has a European vibe. So as someone who doesn't really know any better, you know, uh, what exactly does that mean in, in this context for Montreal with, with the fans and all that? So the rest, hmm, how do I put this without getting people mad? The rest <laughs> of Canada is very young, you could say. I like see. the West Coast of Canada is very young. Um, and I find that just the concentration of sort of the immigrant population added with the Francophone aspect of Quebec, Mm -hmm. it has more of a European feel to it than the rest of Canada. The rest of Canada can feel like people are going to hate me for saying this, but just like the States or something, you know, like it's very similar cultural, culturally tripping over my words to like the States or something. Whereas me coming from the West coast of Canada, love it most beautiful place in the world absolutely and then coming to quebec i felt similar or at least closer to my experiences of having been in france and belgium before Mm. simply because there's the different language Um, and then as far as the supporters go a lot of the supporters in like you know bc or i I can't speak to toronto i don't know a lot of the chants have that sort of American feel to it like not that they do the like <laughs> I believe that we will win which no. <laughs> oh, man. I don't I, like that one I don't like that one that's for sure <laughs> but it just it feels more like I sometimes I when I went to a Whitecaps game it felt like I was at a hockey game where there was a section of the hockey game that had really dedicated supporters that were doing chants and stuff regularly but mm-hmm. it didn't have that all-encompassing feel with like the pyro and maybe it's just the language thing. I don't know what it is, but okay. But Quebec and Montreal just feels different from my experiences of going to matches in Vancouver and in Seattle. Cause I did go, whoops, I did go see a Sounders game as well once, which oh, cool. they have an insane, insane sort of like ultras section or whatever they're called. My bucket um, list. Yeah, that's a that's a really fun experience. Yeah. But it does really feel it does really feel North American to me, mm. at least in comparison to the experience I've had at Stad Saputo. Yeah. Um, I think the one thing I love the most that I find unique in uh Satsubudo is definitely the bell, the north side bell. Uh-huh. 
because to me growing up in Montreal, church bells is just a regular thing. And I, I get really emotional when I hear church bells. I don't know why. I just feel it's, you know, to me, that that religion degree. (laughs) It definitely is. And it's just, um, I love it. So every time they score, I just, I I love hearing it. I know TFC fans absolutely hate it, which makes me happier. (laughs) Yeah, it really does. And it's, um, and actually, speaking of TFC Montreal, do you feel like that rivalry has weighed, waned down a bit? Or is it the same? I feel like it's kind of waned down a little bit, but I think it has more to do with both teams' performances in the last few years. That's exactly it, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, back when Tor- Toronto had you know Bradley and Altador and Giovinco all in their pomp, and then Montreal had Drogba and Piatti mm-hmm. and Bernier, etc., it meant a lot more back, man. Those are some of my favorite memories of going to matches. Yes. Some of those games, same. Man. Oh my god! Like even the ones that we lost, like that series in the playoffs in oh. I don't know, twenty fifteen or sixteen. I think yeah. it was like seven five on aggregate or something. Yeah, like it was like just I could be overselling it there, yeah. but I think it was something around that, um, where I think Montreal won like three two, two. at home. Yes. And then they went to Toronto and it was not a great match, but they ended up scoring three and still losing either six, five or something like five or something. Some of those series were just crazy. And then in the Canadian championship as well. Yeah. That was like the, I think that was like the peak of the Toronto Montreal sort of rivalry in MLS. At least I can't speak mm-hmm. to anything else. No, I think you're right. I, even like MLS pundits, I think, I, I think over the pandemic, there were just, you know, the MLS extra time podcast are, you know, sh- going over some of like the best memories in MLS. Mm-hmm. And they said that was perhaps the greatest uh, MLS series of all time, Montreal, Toronto, because they, they didn't realize the intense cultural rivalry that both cities, both cities had. And then I think uh, Copa, was it kick TV or Coca, uh, Coca, Copa 90 um, as one of those two did a, did a whole uh, little thing about the rivalry, which I'm like, wow, right. even like Copa 90 or was Copa 90 us. I think so when kick TV yeah. got, yeah. Right. And um, when they covered it, I was like, oh, they're actually showing love to Canadian football for the first time. And I was like, this is amazing. And I was, yeah, uh, Piatti, I have a very soft spot for that, man. I maybe something about, something about Argentinians. I just, I love Piatti. He's yeah, I, like, he's the only Montreal player that I have a jersey of. Like, I love that name on it. Yeah. Like, uh, I have two, yeah, I have two, uh, two Montreal jerseys, but he's the only one I have a name on it because he means a lot to me. Like, I, it's, it's irrational how much love I have for this man. Um, but yeah. In hindsight, I wish that I had gotten Piatti on it, but I'm just, whenever I buy kits, I, I don't put a name on it. I'm not Same. a name and number guy for some reason. Um, I don't know why. I couldn't explain to you why. I just like the clean, nothing on it kind of look but if ever i was to get an impact jersey i don't think it would be drogba even though the memories of how ha- uh, mm. the fact that we got to see him play regularly <laughs> was insane to me yeah but even saying that i think that it would it would have to be piatti because they like, have to be he's just i just it, i just love him like he's just so good left foot right foot he could play anywhere in a front three as a number nine number 10 left wing right wing i was just like this guy was so versatile so underrated within the league and um and it was the first montreal player that wasn't quebecois that got the loudest ovation during the starting 11 lineup when they call yeah. the starting 11 because whenever they see Samuel Piatti and Matthias chanel's name now everyone goes crazy but piatti was the only one where everyone just really lost their minds when they said his name and I yeah just, it's it's I, when they when when he left, I was I told everyone they're like, why is why is Montreal struggling? I was like, because Piatti's gone. Like that's yes. just like 
that's it. <laughs> that was it. He he was like the driving force of Montreal's attack. And I think what also made him such a unique player, which made me like him even more, was he has sort of this unorthodox dribbling style where mm. like it it looked like he was in control, but almost out. It was like controlled chaos almost. Yeah. Like it looked like he was about like he had t- touched it too close to the defender. And then before you know it, he snaps across the defender and he's around yes. him and he like he just had such so many moments. I remember because again, I was in the the uh, the ultras section, right? Um, in the general admission section. So whenever they were attacking that side, we had a great view of him playing down the left. And mm-hmm. I remember so many times where I'd see him in the corner and have two defenders coming at him, and I was like, "How how is he going to do it this time?" And sure mm-hmm. enough, he, one like a flip flap, like whatever, he would just find his way out. And I think that he to this day is probably the most. Speaking of underrated Argentinians. <laughs> under celebrated MLS player like, yes. of all time, really. Like he did yeah. get his just dues and there were sort of like an underground following of people that are like, you really need to watch Nacho Piatti. But I think the fact that he was in Canada, mm. he didn't really get the sort of coverage that he deserved because he was doing insane things for Montreal that yes. I think a lot of the league weren't really seeing because when are they going to tune into Montreal versus New England Revolution mm. 20 times they play each other in the season <laughs> no i i feel like if he was playing now at his prime i feel like they would give more media attention because now because Canada's soccer national team is doing so well they're probably pushing a little more towards the uh, Canadian franchises but now they're not doing as well so it's like no. it's kind of a bit of a mismatch but okay so when did you go to Montreal you when and what university did you go to I went to Concordia University. Dude, okay. Uh, We're we're alumni, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I first moved here in 2010. First moved here in 2010. Uh, For school? I mean, for Concordia? Yeah. What did you you study there? Broadcast journalism. Oh, so you were in the Loyola campus, right? I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Wow. This is... Wow, we're like pretty much on the same school at the same time, essentially. Well, I got there. At tw- <laughs> I got there in 2012. I, you know about Seja by now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Okay, so I was in Seja from 2010 to 2012. But uh, but yeah, that's uh. Did you ever play soccer at Concordia, like in the intramural leagues? I sure did. Absolutely. Did? Throughout oh. the entire time I was there, I, we probably played against each other. If you played, oh, we probably did. Most likely. Wait, did you <laughs> play on uh, Tuesdays or Thursdays? If you'd remember. Ooh. I, I one year I was on Tuesdays, one year I was on Thursdays. I can't remember anymore. Okay, okay. Because I, I'm. Did you also play futsal? No, no. I would no. remember you if you did. Okay, because I played futsal for every winter, uh, since since going to Concordia. I played futsal different the futsal league. But uh, I should have done that. That's that looked like it was so fun. I don't know why I didn't. But and when and when and when kind of kaput after two three years because mm. there was there was a huge brawl. That's almost crazy. There was a huge brawl. That always happened at Concordia Dome Soccer as well. Yes. Always fights. It was crazy. <clears throat> it was, I remember this one time, there's a Korean team and I knew all the guys and I just remember checking the league stats and I just see their team and the amount of red cards have accumulated from one night because the entire <laughs> team got to a brawl and I was like, you, um, <laughs> and my friends in like on our group chat, they're like, wow, like this, they, they look at me, they're like, do you know this Korean team? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I know them. Uh, they're uh, but it's I think it's because they kind of allowed anyone to play, so I yes. think that was a bit of the issue. But yeah, it was okay. So we definitely played each other at some point. I'm sure we did. I mean, maybe we can talk after the recording about yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe people we would know or something. But uh, yeah, yeah, we'll we get probably there. played each other. <laughs> <laughs> oh, small world. But uh, but yeah, okay. So 
as always with every episode, I always ask these two questions at the end. So yeah, first question is, what match in world football is at like the top of your bucket list that you really want to watch? I've never seen Benfica play a competitive match. I saw them play mm. a friendly once down in San Jose, California, random. Wow. Um, I saw them play against wow. Chivas down there. Wow, <laughs> the Chivas Cup. USA? No, 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 not USA. Okay. Not USA. I guess uh, the actual Chivas oh, from okay. Mexico, Guadalajara. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a really fun opportunity in 2019 or something that I got to go down and see them. Um, but I've never seen them play a competitive match. When I was in Portugal last, they were, of course... Champions League qualifying, playing in Greece. So there, <laughs> I, I missed out again. Um, but They're just dodging you. <laughs> they are, man. It's it's getting ridiculous at this point. But I think that top of my bucket list would be to see them play at Estadio de Luz against <laughs> FC Porto. Of course. Has to of course. be. Classical. Has so, to be. So what's bigger match? Benfica versus Porto or Benfica versus Sporting? That is sort of the debate right now. Because in the past, it was always Sporting Benfica. Because right. it's the local derby. Blah, 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 blah. Um, but... Of recent, I would say since Benfica and Porto have sort of jostled for best team in Portugal since about like, you know, the 2000s onward until recently sporting won the league. Right. Um, it was all Benfica Porto. So I'd okay. say that that one pretty much became the more hotly contested and also the more toxic as well. It's, it's really mm. gotten. <laughs> so when it gets to that <laughs> point, you know that it's going to be at least entertaining on the pitch. Yeah. Um, and as unfortunate as it is, mm. um, but it's, uh, I would say that right now it's probably Benfica Porto is the bigger or the one that, because the thing is, is that sporting was bad for so long mm. that like, it just, it, sure it you would, you would beat them and sometimes they would beat you and they would have their day in the cup or whatever. Right. But overall it was like, Porto is the team that we're gunning for because Porto is the team that we're actually competing against for the titles, you know? So I'd say that yeah. that one sort of emerged as the more competitive dar- uh, rivalry, basically. But that makes sense because like, it's kind of like Real Madrid, Barcelona before Simeone, where it was like Atletico Madrid was like a mid-level, like pretty much a West Ham, a mid-level club. Yeah. But just kind of like West Ham today, they're on the rise. There was like, that's a big match now, you know? And it's uh, not too bad they couldn't beat City, but you know, it happens. Uh, they're close. They're close. I mean, that was... I was watching Liverpool game, but like, nah, it was close. And uh, oh yeah, second question is, what venue in world football do you want to watch a match? It doesn't have to be a big match, just like any match. That like, it's I guess it's more for the atmosphere or aspect of it. So I think the one that's sort of stuck around with me the longest is, and this is sort of part in you know like seeing what fan culture was like in other countries and got me interested. Mm-hmm. I would love to go to Signal Iduna Park to see Borussia Dortmund play, yes. see the yellow wall. I think that that whole thing would be just incredible because Germany is one of those countries that really gets the fan culture side and the accessibility mm-hmm. of the game down beautifully. I want to be drinking beer outside of the stadium at the start, having a little, <laughs> having some sausage, going inside, being part yeah. of the yellow wall. Like that would just be insane. 30,000 people in one stand alone. That's just insane to me. That's so insane. I think that that would be number one as far as the places that i have wanted to see at least that's been my number one consistently but recently i've i've made a friend shout out fede who is a river plate supporter mm. so that got me really into watching you know a little bit of river plate a little bit of boca now and then and seeing um seeing something at the monumental to see river plate versus boca at that stadium would just be out of this world or la bombonera as well yes boca stadium because that one is 
it's so unique. Like it seems like everyone's just stacked on top of each yes. other and it's just like so like flat. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's a very, very unique stadium. It, it has some sort of Camp New vibes as well, I guess. It has a similar yeah. sort of aesthetic to it. But those two stadiums and just how vocal those two sets of fans are, mm-hmm. seeing a game either at Monumental or at La Bombonera would be insane and something that I would love, love, love to see. Yeah, that's my, I said this, I will always say this at every episode, but whoever brings up any Argentinian football is I missed an opportunity to go to that matchup. It was like, a, <sighs> yeah, I know. I. <laughs> that's the appropriate reaction. Like, uh, okay, long story short, I was dating a girl who was doing an exchange in, in Buenos Aires and I went to go see her. I flew down and she was like, do you want to go to this game? Like I could try to get us tickets and it was a super cup. And I was like, uh, for whatever, oh, I'm so stupid. I was like, for whatever reason, I was like, eh, I don't want to go. Super cup. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not even a real match. It, it, it's stupid thinking. I, I was I was 22 years old and dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember uh, we went to Boca to the neighborhood, and she was like, "It was advised that after six o'clock, just get out this neighborhood because it gets a little fishy, gets a little mm-hmm. dodgy." And we're in a cab, and we're driving back to uh, her spot. And I remember the game was playing, and I could just hear like screaming and shouting, and I was like what's happening? I thought the guy had thought the cab driver turned on the radio. The radio was off. Roll down the window. I hear people screaming goal from their apartments. Just goal, goal, goal. And <laughs> just bouncing off the walls of different buildings and it's echoing down the streets. And I'm like, this is the craziest thing I've ever experienced. And I was like, and this is just a super cup. You know, oh, man, you know what I mean? Like this is imagine, like imagine this is like Copa Libertadores when they oh, played in Madrid. God. Like, you know what I mean? Like this is, this is insane. And I, so that's my biggest uh, regret. Uh, I, I I believe it because that's one of those situations where I I get so envious of the people who actually live in a culture like that. Yes, you know what I mean. Like that's the thing that I was sort of getting to earlier about going to European countries mm-hmm. or whatever, where you feel more at home because your interest is the popular interest where yes. everyone's involved. And then that's just another level of it in Buenos Aires when the entire city is watching and you know and divided yeah. like that. Like, oh my God, that would have been an incredible, incredible experience. Incredible fumble by you, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> that's an appropriate word. I, I regret it till this day. I'm upset about it. I um I like I remember the city, there was a tension in the air in the city just thinking like oh man like something was about to pop off and um a lot of messy posters uh kfc mm. kfc and pepsi ads of messy everywhere and pope mm. francis ads everywhere and yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> so, uh, again pope francis, they like really get behind their man hey yeah they're like uh because he's the first non-european pope right so they're right. like so they're just like he's Argentinian, he's one of us, he's a San Lorenzo fan, and I'm like, uh, I, was, I, just, I just thought that was so <laughs> funny. Like I was Pope ultras out in, in Argentina, <laughs> like, really getting behind him. <laughs> um, I like to think so. I mean, if there's that, I mean, again, then the Maradona worship is insane, is yeah, and understandably so, really. Um, but yeah, okay, so uh, we're pushing over an hour and. I got to say this, Adrian. Actually, is it Adrian with an E or an A? A. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's, I'm used to it, though. I'm used to it. But since I came to Quebec, it's it's a constant. I have to make a little correction on every single paper that someone <laughs> gives me. Because uh, like literally before we started recording, I was like, is it an A or E? I was like, I'll ask him on the, on, on the recording. <laughs> but uh, Okay, awesome. Good to know. But 
before we go, is there any last final words that you'd like to share or um, or part with? I am. I had a ton of fun. I can't believe that it was over an hour already. That just flew by. Yeah. The saying goes, time flies when you're having fun. But yeah, this yeah. was this was a great time, man. Thank you for having me on, and uh, it's great chatting with you. Great uh, talking about Angel Di Maria. <laughs> yes. Let's. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you for believing in Angel Di Maria the same way as I do. And uh, honestly, thanks for coming on. Uh, I had a blast. This was awesome. And uh, wow, I'm at a loss of words now already. But uh, but yeah. So to everyone listening, don't forget to. Uh, subscribe to Soccer Pilgrim on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and follow my Instagram at the Soccer Pilgrim. And also check out Rabona TV on YouTube. Uh, incredible stuff, great video essays. Um, and honestly, I hope I can have you back on in a future episode if if you're open. Happy to. Oh man, awesome. And but yeah, so to everyone listening, thank you for being an audience. Uh, I've been your host, Jason Jisoo Kim, and from Montreal, this is Soccer Pilgrim. Thank you. <laughs>